Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Young Professional African Edition with your host, Jonathan Rwanika and Shanil Mudli, equipping you with all the right tools to jumpstart your career in an African context by sharing experiences and spreading the gospel of information. With original music brought to you by Africa's own, Yunil Badiachi. Hey Jonathan, really looking forward to this one. I think it's it's been a while since we've had an uh, in in house episode where we we just discuss between ourselves, and we've got a really really interesting um, topic for for our listeners. I think it's and and to get at a really high level, the expectations of entering the workplace. And from a from a personal perspective, we're going to cover some of the salaries, some of the the other expectations around management, around your passions, and you know, how, how, do we, how do we handle this when we enter the new environment? Um, so, so maybe to kick us off, Jonathan, we can, we can get into the, the salary discussion, which is obviously, I guess, one of the biggest points for, for Africans. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as a CA, you know, the, everyone looks to you guys as the benchmark for high earners. Is, is this true? Is this true, Jonathan, as, as a CA entering the market? Yeah, I like how you just put me on the spot there. <laughs> but, you know, before I just I answer that, I just wanted to agree with you. You know, I'm always keen for these, you know, uh, discussions because, you know, often they're not planned and we often just speak from the heart and from our personal experiences, which is often where you get the, the, those nice gems and uh, things that other people can learn from. Uh, but... Yeah, salary expectations. Uh, yeah, I hear that quite quite a lot. Apparently, CAs are you know a good benchmark you know uh, for for earning, and you hear a lot of people saying, oh, "I want to be a CA so that I can have like a stable income." And um, I you know I agree to some extent. Um, me and my friends often joke saying, uh, "I think if there's one thing the CA qualification does, it's almost like a guarantee that you'll never you'll never be poor." Um, but when it comes to being rich and uh, that's a different story, I think that's up to you as an individual, (laughs) but, uh, let's talk real numbers, Shanil, so that it's actually helpful to people. Um, so, you know, uh, there are two phases of, uh, CA's life, you know, uh, when he starts his articles, uh, at the audit firm to train, to become a CA, um, and the life after articles, where you uh, start uh, with your years post-qualification and start earning. So these are two different types of earning sets. And I'm just going to talk about both of them. So the first one, right after university, you don't earn a lot eh, when you join uh, the big four and audit firms. Uh, I think the salary ranges are probably uh, for small firms, starting from anything from 15,000 rand a month to the bigger firms to... Uh, and dependent on which city you are, Joe Johannesburg, for example, earning more than others, uh, going as much as 30,000 Rand. And it also varies at what stage in your CA training you're in. So if you're in your first year for, of training, for example, you start in, at the lower end, uh, your second year, you become in the middle, you go into the middle. And by the time you leave, you're around maybe 30K. Uh, and this is before tax, by the way. Uh, tax is still, it needs to be factored in. Uh, but you guys can do the, 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 that math uh, and see where that comes out. Um, and then you leave and then you become a fully qualified chartered accountant and you go into industry. 
Um, and the expectation there, you know, I think the range from of salaries, you know, based on my the people I know and myself, I think the starting CA salary would be anything from maybe five hundred and fifty thousand rand per annum, uh, being maybe the lower end. Uh, the high end being probably 650,000 rand per annum. You know, that depends where you trained, you know, which city you're in. If you trained in banking, you're more likely to be at the higher end when you start off as a CA in your first year, fully qualified. Uh, when you come from an audit firm, you know, I think because of the brand, uh, when you move into industry, you also tend to end up in the higher end, the 600s. Um, but I think the real magic for, for CAs comes in that after qualification and what, how your journey transpires. If you're in the big banks, you tend, uh, you know, I think to, to, to earn a lot more. Um, and over a, a certain period, period of time, I think the expectation for most CAs, uh, even if you're not extraordinary, is that four to five years post-qualification, you should be earning more than six figures. Uh, per annum at the very least. And, yeah. and Jonathan, how is maybe just, uh, you know, thinking about the times that we're in, because um, I've had a few chats with some of my, obviously they're in different locations, but also some of my CA colleagues and CA friends. How has how Corona and, and the sort of pandemic affected entry-level CAs? Have we seen, have, do you think that, you know, they, they're more likely to be on the lower end of that 550 um, to 650 entry because of the pandemic yeah. or, or do you think that that's sort of stable what, what's what's your thoughts on that yeah so I think the pandemic has done one major thing uh, to newly qualified CAs uh, especially in 2020 uh, it sort of removed the option of uh, overseas markets uh, which are normally one of the biggest uh, uh, uh markets for newly qualified CAs. I think about half of our newly qualified CAs go work overseas, Australia, the US, the UK, uh, within audit and then moving out uh, after some years. Uh, so removing that from 2020 meant that the CA, newly qualified CA market was unbelievably flooded by newly qualified CAs. I think that for the first time you could see uh, a, a flooding of the market by CA is something that I don't think anyone would have uh, anticipated uh, because normally CAs can just go work, you know, in a different country if there are no jobs here, whereas that option wasn't there in 2020 uh, for most of it. So that obviously impacts salaries. So I think if, from a negotiation perspective, let's say you're coming in as a financial manager or as a financial controller in that job after articles, uh, you have no professional experience other than audit. Uh, they call it post-qualification experience. So you basically have zero and that is your leverage. If you have zero post-qualification experience, whatever salary that they offer you, like your negotiation, negotiating position is very difficult because you don't actually have experience in that field that you're entering into. Uh, add to that the extra CAs that don't have, that are flooding the market. Yeah, that position was probably very uh, skewed towards the lower end of that salary expectation. Okay, sure. That that's pretty interesting. And I think maybe to to highlight the other side of things, somebody with uh, anybody out there with a commerce background, such as myself, who didn't go, um, you know, a CA route. In terms of graduate programs, what what I've seen 
that when you when you first enter the market, your your typical grad program is going to range between, um, you know, twenty twenty per month on on a low end, up to I, I know the banks go up to like sometimes thirty four thirty five, um, all before tax, um, on on the on the high end. So I think like the banks, I know I know a lot of my friends who a couple of years ago or whenever we first started, they were getting like your, you know, thirty two thirty three um at a at an entry level program. Whereas at a professional services firm, it was a bit lower. What I did know, what I did notice though, is in in professional services firms, especially within the big four, your your jumps are a lot. Um, they they're more exponential. They're higher than than the banks. And and maybe just explaining that in a bit of detail. The for example, if you if you started out at thirty um, at a bank, your your next increase might be you know five or eight percent, which is inflation related whereas professional services as you climb the ranks you'll you'll start seeing 15 20 percent um and then I, I remember even like some of my promotions i got like a you know 30 percent increase so so your increases start start becoming a lot more um through through the through those sort of grad programs i guess let's call it professional services um grad programs which i which i also found quite interesting um, and and then I think you know as you as you've been working for a couple of years I don't know if you've experienced this yet um, Jonathan but but for me moving into the investment banking role the jump is is quite major after some time you know when people tell you focus on on growth for that initial couple of years of your career and then the money will come later I've actually found that to be true not just one of those myths um that that's you know often spoken about yeah. uh do, do you know of yeah well what, what are your thoughts on that yeah no that is that is really true you know i i think i can speak uh, on the context of you know cas you know straight off to qualifying when you have zero years experience you, uh, your salary tends to stay in a certain band but after like a year or two of post-qualification experience uh, you know the the jumps can be crazy high you know depending on what industry you're in you know things like private equity investment banking uh tend to pay you know premium salaries uh which sees you jumping from let's say you started off at 650 you end up at like 850 you know which are big jumps say eh? like the, those are like more than 25 percent i think uh which is insane for 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 that for, for that type of money um, so yeah, it's definitely been consistent, Shanil. But maybe to understand the salary, because we're talking a lot about salaries right now, Shanil. And you know, I had one friend who was like, "Why do we even talk about gross? You know, because gross never lands your bank account." <laughs> so, <laughs> so can you just talk about breaking down that paycheck, Shanil? Like maybe that first paycheck expectation. This guy, first job, told it's twenty k per per month. You know, but uh, come month end, he's not receiving twenty thousand rand. Can you just explain why that is the case? And you know, yeah, yeah. So, so I think you know when you get your first paycheck, as as a, a young professional and you're entering the workspace, at the top you're going to see your your C to C, which is your cost to company, right? So this is this is going to be the gross figure before tax and before all of those other deductions like your medical aid, um, you know, retirement annuities, pension, all of these other things that you get um, deducted from your from your gross monthly amount all of those deductions will happen. And then the, the major deduction, which is your, um, your, your, your tax income tax deduction. And then you're left with your, with your, with your net salary. Uh, did, did I leave anything out there, Jonathan, in terms of, in terms of deductions and you know, yeah. getting, getting charged? 
Yeah, so maybe to add on, I think most usually in entry-level jobs, you know, that you probably don't get company contributions like retirement annuity, pension fund contributions. But those are other deductions that also come off your your income uh, and impact the actual amount that eventually lands on your on your bank account. And you'll see the higher you go, you know, the more important that sort of uh, dynamic is. Because when we talk of CTC, uh, CTC is your total cost to company, but, you know, in there are contributions to your professional memberships, your, the, the company's contribution to medical aids, you know, it becomes more of a, a, a something that actually requires some thought on how you want to structure it when you get an offer, what to look at when you get an offer from a, from a company. Yeah. And, and I think another, um, another point that you, you need to consider when you, whether you're, you're jumping jobs for a salary increase or, you know, getting a promotion, your, your net income is not always proportionate to your, your gross income jump. And what I mean is you move tax brackets, right? So you, you could be, you know, just before the, maybe you're getting taxed currently at 12% um, and, and your next salary jump pushes you into it's 20% tax bracket. Yeah. What that will do to your net income is you're only going to see a couple of thousand rand, um, you know, extra per month. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, do you want to maybe also go into a bit on that? I think that's also an important point. <laughs> yeah, no, tax is a big deal. Hey, like if you, you know, to put things into perspective, let's say if you earn like 50 something thousand a month, you add actual that lands into your salary. If I could just do a, some quick math, it's probably like 38,000. So you're paying about mm. 14, 15 K 14, 13,000 in tax, you know, so you're basically paying an iPhone in tax every month, you know, just to put things in perspective. And when you're earning like a 25,000 a month, you're probably getting like 19K or 20K in your bank. So you're actually just paying like 5K. So South Africa specifically has a quite a, a progressive tax system where the higher you earn, the more you get taxed. Uh, so, so that's also something to look out for. Sometimes it's just best to maybe not get that increase. Okay, I'm joking. But uh, yeah, it's something to really think about when, when negotiating salaries. Where are you landing on that tax bracket? Are there ways to increase your benefits, like get more leave days rather, and rather than increasing the money over a certain uh, bracket, for example? 100% agree. So, so I think, yeah, that, that's a very, very good um, starting point, beginning point for your, for your salary. And then I think, you know, pivoting into another very, very important uh, point that, that we were discussing offline is the importance of your boss or your manager or, you know, whoever you're going to be working with, um, which is quite different if you're in professional services or in industry. And I think, you know, let's unpack a little bit why, why that's different, um, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a great that's a great take because you know often your manager uh, makes or break you makes or breaks you in a in a place like industry for example that's outside your consulting your and your big four because your manager is someone you deal with every single day and uh, if as long as you're employed they that person is your boss unless something changes. Whereas when you're at a big four or consulting, you work in teams, which is a different format, right? And for example, if you're on a certain client, there will be a certain partner or a manager. And after a few weeks, you rotate out and you go to another team, you know? 
So like you're you 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 almost have the ability to be flexible to like a manager's uh, requirements because it's just a short run thing, right? You can sacrifice in the short term. But for me, I think like if you're talking about industry and you're working with the same manager for like two years, I think that's where things become a little bit difficult because you know you either need to change who you are or change something permanently to be able to work with this person in the long term. What are your thoughts? You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. And I think, you know, when they, I remember when I used to do my like first interviews when I started working, there, there comes that section at the end where they say, do you have any questions for us? And I remember I always used to research what sort of questions I should be asking and, you know, all of these things to try and impress them with my knowledge and stuff. Like, fine, I, I think it's, it's good to do that. But one of, one of the, the genuine questions you should ask them and also ask yourself is, who am I reporting to? And, you know, try to meet that person in the interview and see if their management style, you know, if they're micromanagers, if they, um, if they follow sort of servant leadership, whatever it is, whatever sort of leader they are or, or manager they are, try and see if that style fits with you. Because as Jonathan is saying, you're going to be with this person for, for two to three years. So your relationship with this person is really important because even if you really enjoy the work that you're doing, if you've got a crappy manager, you're, you're going to want to leave your job. It's not going to be it's not going to be nice. And, and I think that's, that's where I'll give professional services or, or management consulting sort of a, you know, a one-up on industry is that you're always changing uh, managers. So if you don't like someone, you can just stick it through. It's a month, two months, three months at most. And then, you know, you, you're, you're moving on to, to another team or another project. So, so definitely keep, yeah. that, keep that in mind when you're, when you're doing your interviews. Yeah. So what advice would you give, you know, someone in that position, you know, they are, they are in industry with an unchanging manager, quite a toxic environment, you know, maybe it's a micromanager and, you know, maybe you like the freedom when you do work, you don't like someone just over your head asking if things are done, you know, how can a person in that position right now, you know, change something? What can they do? Yeah. So, so I think for me, the, the first thing is to ask yourself if you really want to change, if you actually really want to put in the effort to change something. So, you know, I, I, are you really enjoying your job? Um, is, is the money really worth it? Is all, you know, so asking yourself, the first question is, do I want to stay here or, or, you know, should I be leaving this company because, because of this manager or because this relationship isn't worth um, salvaging? And, and if the answer is yes, and, and you do think that you should stay there, then I think, you know, there, there was an interesting piece um, that I was reading about now in, in my um, MBA studies around um, cultural intelligence. So, you know, understanding the, the manager, understanding their culture, understanding whether they're low context or high context. So, you know, are, are they quite blunt in what they say? Do they cover up what they're saying with, you know, other things and you have to sort of dig a bit deeper. So I think really understanding all of those nuances and seeing, um, and, and obviously this means that you need to be a, a flexible person. Um, so, 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 you know, understanding all of those things and seeing how can you structure your communications better with this person to try and um, I, I, I guess just make things better between the two of you. But as I said, there's a lot of effort. So, so you might want to think, you know, do, do you really want to be in this position? I think that's, that's maybe the, the main question that you're asking yourself. Uh, I think that, that 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 is exactly how I feel about that, Chenille, as well, you know, and uh, I think you need to have a, a detailed, you know, analysis of the situation for yourself. You know, sometimes change for you is a good thing. Hey, like uh, 
maybe the industry you are requires your manager to be a micromanager because of it's a super technical industry where a lot is riding on things being perfect. So you, you need to analyze it in a way where, you know, maybe you're in the wrong industry or the wrong job. Uh, maybe to be able to stay in this industry, if that's where you want to be, you need to change certain things. Uh, and I think that that's also a skill that, you know, people need to also learn, you know, that's, that flexibility where it is important to do so, be able to adapt. But at the same time, I feel like there are also scenarios where you're just not the right fit for that industry, that job or that manager, uh, and you feel it's time to leave. You know, I'm always pro-leaving, hey? Like, I, I'm not for toxic environments, especially in your 20s when your focus needs to be learning and growing. You know, you don't want to spend it, you know, just stressed about your boss and not growing. You know, I think that will be the worst possible position to be. Yeah, I definitely agree there. And I, and I think you're bringing up another important point. Um, so so this is obviously the discussion around leaving if you're in a toxic work environment. But but what are your thoughts on, um, you, you know, changing jobs as a means of, of progression? Because we've seen, you know, with our parents and older generations, a lot of them have been with one company for 20 or 30 years and then they retire there. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you think this landscape has, has changed now? And, and what are your thoughts? Do you think it's actually, uh, you know, a positive thing for you to move every couple of years? Now, I'm not saying move, you know, every few months or whatever, but every, <laughs> every few years to be changing jobs. What are your thoughts on that? Mm. I think in your 20s, you know, you, the expectation for me is that I, you know, I probably don't really know what I want. I probably don't know what my path is supposed to be. And I think the only way I can really know is by trial and error and by trying out new things if some things aren't working. Uh, so I think in your 20s, I'm perfectly fine. If I was an old person reviewing someone's CV and I saw in your 20s, you jumped companies like one year you were here, two years you were here, this one year you were here. Like I wouldn't hold that against you. I think it's just a symptom of the times also. You know, employees also have that power to leave you know, uh, which wasn't as uh, predominant in the time of our fathers, you know. I think there was this demand for loyalty from the employee. Uh, and if it, that was not given, I think it was frowned upon. I, I think that was the extent of that, of that relationship also, which is different from this day and age, I think, which allows us to have those choices. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you there. You know, I, I always think that once you're, with a company maybe for a couple of years or you've set out something to achieve and you've achieved that and you start to see that your growth is stagnating or you're not moving, um, you know, at a, at a particular growth rate that you still want, especially in your 20s, then you should be, you should be looking around because as you said, in your, in your 20s, it's about growth. It's about finding out where you want to be and, and, you know, really learning as much as you can. Yeah, yeah. But uh, just one question, you know, before we round up, uh, you know, you said uh, when you're reading up for your MBA, firstly, congratulations, you know, that's, that's a big, a big deal. And uh, secondly, you know, I know firsthand your, your MBA is, is very unique, you know, it's a very interesting, uh, unique program. Do you want to just speak briefly about it maybe uh, before we round up? Yeah, sure. So, so it is quite a, quite a unique program. And I, and I think, if, and, and maybe just highlighting the, the criteria. So um, it's, it's with the Quantic Business School and, and sort of the criteria that I was looking for when I was you know, looking at different MBA programs. Uh, one of the things that I'm sure a lot of other people on the continent can relate is MBAs are so expensive. 
Um, yeah. and, and that for me was, you know, just thinking, oh, if I go and do an MBA um, at, at, a, at an Ivy League or go here, go here, obviously, yeah. you know, it's well worth it. You're going to be sorted for the rest of your life, but you're taking out a huge loan um, yeah. in, in, in the short term. So, so I was looking for something where it's going to be low cost and something where, you, you know, it's still got a lot of, um, I guess, backing behind it, or it's, it's still quite prestigious. And the Quantic MBA is quite an interesting one. It's, it's um, a free MBA if you get inside. Um, if you get into the program. So it's got a, a very low acceptance rate. I think this year they had a 7% um, acceptance rate globally. Wow. But, but what's very interesting is that it's uh, a lot of the MBA, the, the way that they get their money is it's funded through Facebook, Google, IBM, and some of the other uh, big tech companies. And for me, that was amazing because I, I would love to work for, for one of these companies someday. So yeah. that the networking element is, is really awesome. Um, the course is, is quite flexible. You, you get to chat, uh, you, you get to do the coursework in your own time. And yeah. the, the groupings, it really allows you to find people with, with similar time zones to you, network, work together, do like real life use cases. So, so far, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, yeah, I think I definitely would recommend it um, to, wow. to anyone looking for those sort of criteria elements. Well, wow. amazing. No, thanks for sharing, Shneel. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Young Professional African Edition. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Music, Spotify, or whatever platform that you use to listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a like and a follow. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at YP underscore Africa. That's YP underscore Africa. And if you've missed an episode, don't stress. You can catch up on our YouTube channel, YP underscore Africa. Like and subscribe, guys. Like and subscribe. That's it from us, guys. See you next week.